You ready to study the word today? All right. Very good. Well, that was a week. Yes. So uh, are you ready to study the word? All right. Okay. That was better. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Last week, we started a new series called Rooted. I've got this week and we'll have next week. Um, And last week, we learned uh, from a parable of Jesus uh, about the condition of the, the, uh, the soil of the heart and how it's receptive to the gospel, how well the gospel can be planted and take root depending on the soil uh, of and the condition of our hearts. Now, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, it's not just talking about salvation. See, often we can hear the word gospel and we can think salvation, been there, done that, checked it off, I got it, no need for the gospel anymore. But the gospel, um, when the gospel is proclaimed, Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone is the cornerstone of the gospel message. That's how we receive the gospel. Uh, we receive it by way of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in its totality is everything that Jesus came to offer you and me. That's the gospel. Okay. The totality of the gospel could be summed up this way. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save you. He came to set you free from the bondage of sin and grow you every day in your relationship with him, resulting in life transformation. That's how you could sum up the gospel. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I hope so. I hope so. Because our our vision of Cultivate Church is to see people saved, Uh, set free from the bondage of sin and growing every day in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel. We're about the gospel. The title of the message today is growing, just simply growing. Now, I want to ask you a question. After a seed is planted, uh, what would you expect it to do? Grow. Good. Okay. We want to see a seed take root. We want to see that happen grow, and then grow strong, and ultimately, what's the end result? What do we want to see come from that? It produce fruit, okay? Produce fruit. That's what we want. The more that we continually experience the power of the gospel in our lives, we grow. You follow me? All right. Now, last week, I asked you a question. I'm going to ask it again this week, and you don't answer it out loud to me. But the question is, do you want your relationship with God to grow? See, and it's an important thing to answer that question and answer it seriously before the Lord. And the reason I don't want you to tell me is because that's not between me and you. That's between you and the Lord. If you want your relationship with him to grow or not. Now, we've already discussed the condition of the soil, but there are some things that we need to learn about what it takes, what the conditions need to be, uh, and what it looks like to grow. And that's what we want to look at today. Uh, I'm going to ask if you would stand in the honor of reading God's word. And before we do, we're going to pray asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth of this 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Would you um, bow with me? So, Lord, we come to you now, and I declare that we need you. Lord, would you 
fill me to overflowing. And Lord, I humble myself before you as your servant, Lord. The preparation has been done. And Lord, I want to serve good food to your people. Good spiritual food. Would you speak through me? Would you have your way with your people today? Walk up and down the aisles. Between the rows, Lord. I come against and I rebuke a spirit of distraction today in the name of Jesus. May your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. All right. Let's go uh, chapter three. Uh, We're going to start in verse one, and then we're going to go all the way through, I guess, verse nine. All right. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Huh. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another, quarreling with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, another one says, I'm a follower of Apollos. Aren't you acting like the people of the world? After all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us to do. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos, he watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's important. It, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. But we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Hey, if you're taking notes today and you want to know how we could grow in your relationship with the Lord, here's point number one. You need to know God is the only one who makes things grow. God is the only one who makes things grow. You can't make you grow. I can't make you grow. You can't make someone else grow. God is the only one who makes things grow. I want you to look back at verse five. It says, after all, who's Apollos, who's Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted seeds in your heart and Apollos watered it, but it was who who made it grow? It was God who made it grow. Now, the people within the Corinthian church, they had their favorite preachers, apparently. They had their favorite staff person. Uh, and they were arguing which one of them, Paul or Apollos, uh, had really aided in their growth. Had, had really they they were following one. Some people really liked Paul the way Paul preached. Uh, there he was firm. Yes, he was firm, but he was sincere. He was educated but relatable. I can hear it now. The Lord really used Paul to teach them. I they see they liked Paul. 
Paul. They liked his style. See, some people then liked Apollos. They were like, well, I like Apollos. He's my kind of guy. He was kind of funny, witty. He's good looking, educated. He's got this deep delivery. See, people people like the topical messages that Apollo would preach. They felt like it applied to them. And Paul comes in here and he sets the record straight. He's like, guys, don't be arguing about who you like, uh, who you're following, who's helping you grow. Don't be doing that. It just needs to stop. He said, that's, that's really not wise. We're not the source of your spiritual growth, neither I nor Apollos. He said, we're eight, we're, all we're doing is we're just growth agents. We're just servants of the Lord. He said, I planted the seed, which that would indicate to us that Paul was the one who told them the truth of the gospel initially. And it says, Apollos, he watered it. He helped apply the truth so that you could learn and grow. And he says, we did our part, both of us. We did our part, but it is God who makes things grow. It's not us. Here's the deal. If you're dependent on me, on Pastor Mike, on Tanner, or say Adrian Rogers or Charles Stanley or Billy Graham, or you're, uh, you're dependent on Cultivate Church or your Bible study class for your spiritual growth to make you grow, you've put your eggs in the wrong basket. There's nothing that I can do or anyone else can do to make you grow. You can be under the most anointed teaching and preaching for years and still it would be possible that the gospel never take root in your life, much less produce fruit. That is still possible. That's still possible. Here's how I'd say that. Everyone has their favorite. You have a favorite preacher? Yeah. Yeah, all day long. Me, I got you. Uh, Good answer. Uh, besides me, okay. Uh, you have a, do you have a favorite author? Author. Do you have a favorite author? Yes. Okay. Do y'all read? Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite style of worship? Yeah. Maybe a, a favorite, uh, liturgy. Uh, just a, just a way to do things. Uh, everyone has their favorites. We all have our people that we like to live. We like all have our, our way that we like things done and that help personally aid us. But we have to come to a place where we mature through arguing about what's the best path, what's going to make, what's, who's the best speaker, what's the best music to make things grow. These things have their place. They do have their place, but they will not make you grow. Ultimately, the growth in the life of a believer is up to God. Now, Here's, here's the caveat. I need you to remember this phrase always. God has a part and we have a part. God has a part and we have a part. Now, what's our part? Okay. If God's the one who makes things grow, then what's our part? Our part is to apply the growth agents. All right. What are the spiritual growth agents needed for growth? What are they? Worship, prayer, what else? Bible study, the word, obedience. Get under good teaching and preaching, yes, be under that. 
Pray and worship in the Spirit, yes. But remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches, who guides, who convicts, and it is His life in us that moves us. It's His life in us that grows us. When we, by faith, release the Holy Spirit to use His Word, to you, to use worship and to use prayer to have his way with us. When we say, have your way in us, just like that song we sang, take everything I've got, have your way. I want more of you. When we do that, when there is a surrender and an obedience and he is freed, there will be growth guaranteed. Do you believe that? But he's the one who does it. Now. When a farmer plants a seed and waters it, here's, is he making it grow? No. All the farmer can do is provide the right environment and apply the right growth agents for the seed to take root. And then what does he do? He has to wait and really trust that the miracle of growth will happen with whatever he's planted. All right, now that's the same way it is with us. It's the same way. I might be a seed planter in your life. You might be somebody else. Or I might be a seed waterer. Or you, there might be someone else that does that to, for the gospel in your life. And I hope that I am a seed planter. I hope you're a seed planter and a seed waterer. You might be working hard to tend the garden. You might be to till up that soil that we talked about last week. Maybe busting up some rocks and, and, and getting them out. You might be doing that, getting them out of there. You're doing your part. We're doing our part. By faith, we must let God do his part. See, all we can do is provide the right environment for the seed to take root and to grow. And by faith, believe that God will perform a miracle and growth and transformation in our lives. A growing belief. I'm telling you, it is a, it's miraculous it is a supernatural, miraculous thing for a, a believer to grow in their faith. Did you know that? Did you know that? Here's number two. In God's economy, growth is not optional. In God's economy, growth is not optional. Look, verse, look at verse one and two, 1 Corinthians 3. One and two, he says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or, or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Now, these people were a part of the family of God. They were a part of the church. We know that because Paul says he calls them brothers and sisters. And he says, uh, that they were infants in Christ, and that's the problem. So he identifies them as believers, but they're infants. So if they are, let me ask you a question. If they're a part of the family of God, if they're believers, do they have the Holy Spirit living in them? Yes or no? Yes, okay? He lives there. But Paul is being very frank with them, and he says, well, you're not living like he does. You're not living as though the Holy Spirit is there. See, they were not acting like spiritual people, the people within this church. Now, we can rightly deduce that they were believers uh, and that they had some evidence of being born again. But there were some glaring areas 
where they were operating out of the flesh nature and not being controlled by the Spirit. Can you see that? Paul says, you're acting worldly. That word also translates, I don't know if some of you have it, but it's also carnal. You're acting carnal. Now, Romans chapter 7, you don't have to turn there. I think it's on the screen. Romans chapter 7 provides a portrait of a worldly believer. So in other words, this person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but is mastered by the flesh. All right, I just want to read to you. You you listen. Romans 7, 14 says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Now that's evidence right there that the Holy Spirit's indwelling in you because otherwise you wouldn't even want to do what was right. You would have no gauge for that, okay? But he said, instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. This is, I, I know what's supposed to be right and that the law is good. I need to be living that way. So I am not the one doing the wrong. It is the sin still living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. There's nothing good in my sin nature. I want to do what is right, okay, but I can't. I'm being held back in bondage. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I don't do, if I do, if I do, if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing the wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. That's a tongue twister. I have discovered this principle of life. He's like, ah, I've discovered this. And when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong when I'm in this condition. I love God with all my heart. Here's the thing. Here's the the crooks of it. I love God with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. That's where the warfare is, Christian. That is where the warfare is. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still, even though I'm a believer, that is still within me. And then he says this, Oh, what a miserable person that I am in this bondage. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But see, Paul knows the answer. What does he say? He says, thank God, the answer to this issue that I have faced and that you're facing. The problem to this answer, the problem with salvation, the problem with bondage, the problem with not doing what you want to do when you want to do it and vice versa is the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Isn't that a good passage? See, that's a good image of what it looks like to be saved, but then be uh, in bondage to the flesh. Now, let me explain something to you. In Paul's letters, he describes three categories of people. If you read about it, he'll describe three. He'll describe the natural man. That's the unbeliever. We're all born the natural man and woman. Okay. We're all born natural man, unbeliever. Then he describes the spiritual man. The spiritual man is someone who understands, knows, and walks in the spirit, someone living in the spirit. Then there's the carnal man, which is the one we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. This is who he's addressing, the carnal man. 
These are the people that know the things of God. They are believers, but yet there are some significant ways that are still characterized and governed by the flesh. So these are this the people he's talking about. Now, when you become a believer, when you become a believer, you start out as an infant, yes or no? Yes. Even if you grew up in church, even if you have a lot of head knowledge, when you are born again, then you become, you spiritually start as an infant. Because even though you've got a head knowledge, you have not had an experiential knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ until you're born again. So, uh, and then you, so you, then you gain that. Here's the deal. I want you to listen to me carefully. Every person in God's economy, according to scripture, is expected to become a mature follower of Christ. No exceptions. Now, here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. Some believers get so comfortable with their infant relationship with the Lord. They become okay with knowing that there's some patterns of their life are wrong and sinful as long as they're covered under the blood and they're going to heaven. That's a dilemma. Now, at the beginning of this series and of this message, I asked you, do you want your relationship with God to grow? Do you want your relationship with God to grow? Because I'm going to tell you some truth now. If you've been a believer for a while and you're not growing and you've gotten comfortable and you're not really even paying attention to try to seek to tend the soil of your heart to the receptivity of the gospel. If you're not earnestly seeking the Lord in the word, you might read it from time to time, but you're not earnestly seeking. If you're not earnestly praying and worshiping in the spirit, as scripture says, if you're not really paying attention to if you're obeying and listening, if you're not being set free, if you're, if you're in bondage and you know it, if there are, if you're just stumbling over the rocks, the things in your life and you just kind of continue in that, but you're okay with how you are with God. I'm okay with that. You're, I'm comfortable. You've compartmentalized and you've justified your sin. You've said somehow, this is my personality. It's my pet sin. That's the way I was raised. I just have had to learn to deal with it. And God's grace will just have to cover that. If that's the balancing act that you're playing with your relationship with the Lord, I've got some bad news for you. Your spiritual life will not maintain a status quo. In other words, you will not hold steady in your sin. You will not hold steady where you are. Here's what I mean. Romans 8, 5. Listen to this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads, guess what? It leads somewhere. It doesn't stay status quo. It leads somewhere. What does it lead to? 
death, spiritual death. But look at this. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to, also this leads somewhere. Where does it lead to? Life and peace. Without life, there is no growth. In other words, here's the deal. If you're carnal, if you're a believer, but you're living with this sin and you're doing this balancing act, you've got two opposing lords up in your house. Your sin, flesh, nature, and the Holy Spirit. Those are the, those are the lords. If you're entertaining your sin nature, if you have unconfessed sin, undealt with sin, if you're in bondage into a sin pattern, they will not yield. Those will not be tamed. It will dominate. It will take over. You will not maintain status quo in your sin. Sin begat sin begat sin begat sin begat sin. It's a snowball effect until your spiritual life will be overtaken and choked out. I promise you. But if you're taking steps to gain freedom from the bondage of the sin flesh nature and you're seeking to obey the Holy Spirit, guess what? The Holy Spirit will begin to dominate in your life. The Holy Spirit will begin to lead forth in your life. And then what happens, according to Scripture, you'll start thinking about more things of the Spirit. You'll start thinking on it more. And then you'll start, what's the, oh, you'll start longing for the things of the Spirit. And then you'll start to operate in the Spirit. And then you'll start producing fruit. And then you'll start operating in the gifts of the Spirit. See, that's growth. For the follower of Christ, there is no other viable option, according to Scripture. Now, it sounds to me like Paul was a little put off by these carnal believers. No wonder there was trouble in this church. No wonder. It is my persuasion, this is just my opinion, anecdotally, that within these three categories of people, the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man that he talks about in his letters, the carnal man is the biggest challenge to deal with in churches today. The carnal believer is one of the church's biggest problems. Carnal people think of themselves as spiritual, but they're living in the flesh. That's a problem. And see, there's a spiritual blindness that happens for a carnal believer because there's no spiritual maturity there. There's spiritual immaturity. Carnal believers can stunt the growth of a church because they do not know how to manage love and be in relationship with either the natural man or the spiritual man. If you're a believer and you're in the flesh, you won't know what to do when an when a unbeliever walks in the door. You won't know how to treat them. You will not know how to love them. And you don't know what to do with someone who's walking in the spirit. And if a church is full of carnal believers, we'll be dead will just be a gathering place for the saints. How do I know that? How do I know what I'm telling you is true? 1 Corinthians 3, 3, look at this. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature, he says. If you are, you are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't this prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? He's talking to believers saying you're living like people of the world. See, these people were picking their favorites. And most likely, by the way, if you're picking your favorites, that means you're picking the other person apart. Follow me? See, there was jealousy and rivalry within this church. There was comparison. See, that always comes with this. 
There was quarreling. Do you know what quarreling means? Quarreling means dissension and contentious spirit. It's a spirit of contention. Contention literally means that you're always looking for a dispute. You're always looking to find, to catch somebody in something. You're always looking for the wrong. You're always looking. You're always on the lookout. It's a witch hunt, I call it. Now I want you to mark it. Mark this. Perpetual, if you have perpetual problems in human relationships, that shows that something is wrong with your relationship with the Lord. Because he calls us to live how with people? Peace with people. He calls us to run to peace, to run to unity. He calls us to do that. He says, people will know that you're my disciples on how? Your love, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love is not boastful, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-centered, it is not self-seeking. No place of the carnal Christian. See, believers have a higher calling than living like the rest of humanity. Spiritual people are to walk in the spirit. And if you do not walk in the spirit, Scripture says, you must stop or you're going to die. You 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 need to turn, stop, and turn or you're going to die. But remaining worldly is not one of the options in the kingdom of God. That is not his intent. Here's number three. Growth needs the right environment. Growth needs the right environment. Your spiritual growth needs the right environment. Now, let me ask you a question. How successful do you think that it would be if you tried to plant fescue grass, you know what I'm talking about, in the Sahara Desert? (laughs) I heard it. No, that's a hard no. If you tried to plant uh, a Tennessee grass in the desert, why? Why? Because the in It's an environment that would be harsh to the survival of that kind of grass. That's why. It just won't grow. All right, now let me ask you another question. Do you think that an infant baby believer can have a robust and faithful, a fruitful life as a disciple if they're constantly and continually immersed in environments of sin and evil and unhealth where there are no spiritual agents of growth present. Nope. But yet we do it all the time, don't we? Colossians 2.6 says this, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. Now, remember we said that the gospel of Jesus is not just salvation. That's the, that's the open door. We receive salvation, but it's so much more. So he says, now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must, as you did that, now you must continue to follow him. I want you to, I mean, I want you to root down in that sentence. As you received, in the same way you continue, okay? Let your roots grow down into who? Who? In him and let your lives be built on who? Him. 
then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, look at that phrase, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. In other words, you take what's been given to you and you grow up in it. You grow up in it and you start living out of it and you do what you've been taught. The seed has been planted. You know the gospel. He says, let our lives be built on it. Let it be built on it. He means let your lot. When he says, let your lives, he means let the environment in which you live, the decisions in that you make, the jobs that you take, where you go, what you do, how you spend your money, everything. And as scripture says, in word and in deed, let it be by faith built on him. See, often we have our environment and we try to incorporate Christ into our environment. We just want to add him on. You know what I'm saying? We want to keep the rest of the house the same, but we'll just add on a Jesus room, a room where he can be. That's what we'll do sometimes. Um, do any of you in your houses or grew up in a house that had what we called the pretty room? Where you had maybe that was a parlor or that room in the front that was like a, a second living room that nobody ever uses and all the pretty furniture's in there. And, and, and as you know, you, you could never go in there. Don't sit down on that furniture and it probably has plastic over it or whatever. I don't know. Dollies everywhere. But you got the pretty room. You got the pretty room. Your relationship with Jesus can't work if you just meet him in the pretty room of your life. If he's the only place you go and that's the only time you go in that room and use that room is to meet with Jesus, that won't work. That won't work. No, Paul says there's got to be a change of the environment. The whole house has to be changed upside down. You build your house. You build your life. You build your kitchen, your bedroom, your living room, everything about your life. You build it on Christ. Build everything that you are on Jesus Christ. Grow up in him. Grow up with him. Grow up in everything. Grow up in Christ in a Christ-centered environment. You need to surround yourself with the, the environment of Jesus Christ. Your spiritual growth depends on it. Depends on it. It depends on it. So here's the question again. Do you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord? Because in order to grow, you have to tend the soul of your heart. Make sure it's hospitable to the gospel. If you have rocky soil, rocks there, things that you stumble over, if there's some bondage, there's some sin there, kind of difficult for the, the gospel to take root, that's where repentance comes in. You start identifying, Holy Spirit, will you identify those things, those rocks? Help me get them up and get them out of my life. I need freedom. I need freedom from that. I need freedom. Start begin to cultivate the soil. You're in the word. You're praying. You're worshiping, praying and worshiping in the spirit. You're reading the word, asking him earnestly, God, will you please 
lead me in your word. I don't want to just read words. I want the word to be active and alive. I want to be able to understand it. Holy Spirit, will you let me understand it? Know that God is the only one who makes things grow. You can't make yourself grow. You can't do it. You can't do it. You could read a gazillion scriptures in your life. You could do it every day faithfully. You could have your open window by, you could have your open windows out there, you know, as your little devotional book, whatever you got, your, whatever you've got, you could read it every day and not grow a lick unless the Holy Spirit's doing the work through it, making it grow. You need to know that growth for the believer is not optional. Your sin will not maintain the status quo. It will not maintain. It will only lead further and further and further and further away. And growth will require the right environment for you. Now, the ball is in your court to do that. God has a part. His part is for you to make you grow, to help you grow. But you have a part. You have a part. So do your part. Now, you can start right now.